So it's really good to be back uh, with you. I always miss worshiping together as a community when I'm gone. Um, and as you're aware, Jack came back a little bit earlier than I did so that you were able to receive uh, the gift of his preaching last week. And I know that was wonderful. What you probably don't know is that his trip home was horrendous. Mechanical difficulties on the plane, several attempts to reschedule the flight, long delays. Finally, he was rerouted through New York on a different plane and then had to change planes to get back into Dallas, arriving home after midnight. He went fishing with his buddy Harold the next day and told Harold about his eventful travel ordeal. And Harold told him if he was platinum, he would have been treated much differently. <laughs> Apparently, Harold is platinum for life because of all the business travel he did in his career. And there was a time when Jack claimed platinum status as well. We were coming home from Boston, and they started to board the plane. They said, those who need special assistance, come and board now. And then they went to first class, their turn to board the plane, and then the person at the ticket counter said, we're ready to board those who are platinum card holders. Jack turned to me and said, I'm one of those. And I said, you mean a platinum card holder? Yeah, I've got a gold card and a platinum card. I said, honey, I don't think so. <laughs> you don't travel enough to be platinum. But he would not be dissuaded. He said, here, let me show you. He took out his American Airlines MasterCard, pointed to the bottom, where it said, Platinum. I said, that's just a credit card. And he said, I know it's a credit card, but it's Platinum. Watch. So I did. I watched him march right up to the ticket agent and hand her his boarding pass and his MasterCard and say, I'm Platinum. She tried not to laugh. <laughs> As she said, that's just a credit card. <laughs> You're in group six. <laughs> sometimes we make assumptions about what we know, and we get it wrong. And sometimes it's really funny. But in the parable of the sower, we don't really have to make any assumptions. We know immediately what's wrong. The soil is wrong. The seeds are meant to grow, but their growth depends on the soil in which they are planted. Seeds that are planted on hard-packed earth don't grow because they're eaten by the birds. Seeds that are planted among the rocks sprout up quickly, but then wither away because their roots aren't very deep. Seeds that are planted amongst the thorns uh, get choked off by the thorns. So it's easy to see why the seeds don't grow. They need to be planted in good soil. Fascinating is the fact that Jesus tells us a lot about what makes bad soil bad, but he doesn't tell us much of anything about what makes good soil good, whether all we know is that seed that produces a harvest, that's planted in good soil, will produce a harvest. Whether its yield is 30, 60, or 100-fold, 
The seed produces a harvest that would have been considered a good harvest in the agrarian community in which Jesus told this original story. That's what seed does in good soil. It grows. So what makes soil good? Where do we find it? Where do we find that good soil? How do we nurture the growth of seeds so that they become all they're meant to be? I think those are excellent questions to ask on this first Sunday of our stewardship emphasis called planting seeds. It's appropriate that we consider questions about how we as a church can produce a good harvest as we scatter seed around, um, as we scatter the seeds of our ministry. And what I mean by a good harvest is that our ministry will yield have a yield of deeply devoted followers of Christ who live out a mission to change lives and to have impact on our community and on the world around us. Where we find and cultivate good soil. As 21st century seed sowers, it's crucial that we know something about the soil. My colleague, Lisa Greenwood, wrote a monograph for Texas Methodist Foundation called God's Mixed Ecology, The Changing Spiritual Landscape. In it, she attempts to map the religious landscape of the 21st century. She synthesizes a lot of information, too much information to share with you this morning, but there's some highlights that I think can be helpful to us as we enter into this new year of ministry together, seeking to scatter seeds that will blossom and that will yield fruit. First, we all know that the church, that church membership or affiliation with organized religion is declining. We all know that. We've been hearing that for years. Uh, the Pew Research Center data indicates that every year for, since 1986, up to 2016, there was a decrease in affiliation. In fact, for the 30 years captured by the data, there was a decrease in every age group, a decrease of affiliation. At the same time, there was an increase in persons who self-describe as spiritual but not religious. These people are, according to Greenwood, Folks who are seeking meaning and purpose, they're even seeking encounters with the holy, but often they're not seeking that in the church. Both of these trends, a decrease in affiliation and an increase in spiritual but not religious, show no signs of abating. They are trends that are here to stay. And on a macro level, they describe the soil in which we plant our ministry seeds. So here's what we can deduce. Planting the same seeds of traditional church that we have been planting for the last 50 years will yield a smaller harvest, simply because the soil that once nurtured those seeds has undergone a fundamental change. The number of people who are attracted to any traditional church is growing smaller. The soil in which we plant 
now includes many people who have rejected the church. And if we're looking at strictly millennials, 39% are unaffiliated. On the other hand, the soil is rich with the spiritual but not religious folks who are every age and every description. They are yearning for meaning and purpose and often finding it outside the church. This 21st century soil is fertile ground for a new kind of seed that we may not be familiar with or we may have judged it as inferior to the seed we have always planted, which is the seed of traditional church. As sowers of seed, we need to know about the soil in which we plant. We need to know about the religious landscape in which we strive to be the church that God is calling us to be. So here's another very useful descriptor. The religious landscape of North America is an ecosystem. And like any other ecosystem, it is made stronger through diversity. Says Christina Pasha Palmer, biodiversity is the infrastructure that supports all life. So it is that we are beginning to see the emergence of new kinds of faith communities that add a richness and a diversity to the Christian witness right here in Dallas. They are places like Union Coffee House, a non-traditional faith community that meets in a coffee house. They've been highly successful in raising up new young leaders. Or Owenwood Farm and Neighboring Space, a non-traditional faith community that includes a four-acre urban farm growing fresh produce alongside with those facing food insecurity, and Susie Marshall knows a lot about that project. They also have a midweek worship service around a simple meal. Project Transformation is a faith-based nonprofit that develops young leaders by engaging them in purposeful leadership that supports the education of children. All of these are examples of disciple-making, life-changing, community-changing entities, says Greenwood. All of them are new forms of church. All of them are engaging, at least in part, the spiritual but not religious. All of them represent a different kind of seed that's thriving in this 21st century soil. Now, please do not hear me say that the traditional church is no longer lead needed in this religious landscape. The traditional church is a vital part of the ecosystem. It also adds diversity in the ecosystem. In particular, traditional churches who are seeking to stay relevant in a rapidly changing world will continue to attract those who want to affiliate and even a segment of those who see themselves as spiritual but not religious. The traditional, part, uh, the traditional church is part of 
the diversity of the ecosystem. In many ways, a church like North Haven is well positioned for this ever-evolving <coughs> ecosystem. I've been here for only a minute compared to a lot of you. But here are my observations. This church is a church that rejects theological platitudes in favor of thoughtful exploration. And you can see the effects of that in our faith formation of every age group. We have a high level of intellectual conversation, and we have more theologically trained and published individuals than you can even imagine, certainly more than any church I've ever been a part of. So if you're a spirit, a person who has rejected the church that raised you, if you are a spiritual seeker, we welcome your questions and we promise to engage you without judgment. Another observation, this is a church that embraces mystery as a source of revelation while also experiencing the holy through the mediums of art, poetry, music, books, science, and most definitely through each other. So if you're a person who knows little about scripture, but has a deep longing to know ineffable transcendence, stick around and listen to Larry play the organ. Or just wait until Virginia sings something or any number of other trained soloists that we have in our choir. Don't miss the opportunity to hear Tom Walker read a poem. Spend some time with some of the saints in this church, and when you do, you will know God a little better. Another observation, and one that's bedrock in this church, is the desire to have impact, whether it is in Central America or at the border with asylum seekers, whether it is at the ballot box or at City Hall. This church is filled with people who want to have an impact, who want to make a difference want to have an impact on someone or some community or on the planet. North Haven has long been involved in bearing witness and seeking a more just world that is aligned with the beloved community that Jesus lived and died for. For all of these reasons and more, North Haven is a vital part of the ecosystem North Haven is worthy of our investments of prayers, presence, gifts, service, and witness. The soil here is rich, and the seeds planted long ago need our care and are deserving of our investment. And I want you to know that when you invest in North Haven, you are also investing in the cultivation of soil in ways that are suitable for some new types of seed. 
I believe God is calling us to be a high-quality, traditional church, but I also believe God is calling us to scatter some new seeds. If we cultivate curiosity and humility, if we spend time beyond our walls to meet our neighbors near and far, those who are, especially those who are different from ourselves, if we are humble about the limitations of our knowing and understand that failure can be a good teacher, we can begin to experiment with new seeds while we continue to cultivate the soil that we know best and celebrate the quality of the harvest we have come to appreciate in this church called North Haven. In a moment, you will have the opportunity to renew your vows of baptism. It's a service that I love, and it's a service that I love to do at the beginning of a new year of ministry together. It's a moment that we acknowledge that the church at its best, the church is at its best when we remember that we belong to God. We belong to God who formed us, who calls us by name, the one who is with us even when we pass through the raging waters. Through our baptism, we claim the power of God's grace for another year of planting seeds for the future.